0: This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by TBR. TBR's is Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. Love thrillers and want to read more romance? Looking for poetry by writers of color and maybe also some space opera? We've got someone who knows just what to choose for you. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendations only level or three new hardcover books and are shipped every three months. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Sign up only takes a few minutes. Answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for. Link up your Goodreads profile if you have one and you're done. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co.
1: Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 64, and we are recording on Tuesday, November 5th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book
0: Riot. Hi, Katie.
1: Hi, Rincey. Did you survive the great Halloween blizzard of Chicago?
0: (laughs) Well, I was very lucky and I actually had to go out not trick-or-treating or anything like that, but I had like things I had to take care of. So yeah, it was uh, kind of crazy to have it be like full almost like January like snow levels <laughs> here in Chicago on October 31st.
1: Yeah, yeah. If, if you're not sure what we're talking about, the Chicago area in certain parts got about six inches of snow on Halloween. If you're close Closer to the lake, you get more snow. But my parents that they, they live close to the lake, but they also live up farther north towards Wisconsin. They got about a solid six inches. My, my mom sent me a picture of the block, like waiting for the trick or treaters. You can't, I mean, it is six solid inches of snow. And she's like, what's happening? I, I don't even know. Yeah. I was miserable on Halloween. I'm like, this is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I think our house got maybe three, like doorbell rings the entire night because like what kid wants to go out in that and i even heard like some suburbs in chicago sent out like notices however notices are sent out these days (laughs) Uh, basically being like uh we're gonna move uh trick-or-treating to saturday (laughs) because then it'll actually be somewhat normal october weather (laughs) yes
1: and funny enough the the town where i work did not uh switch their Trick or treating schedule. So they sent out a notice. that was basically like, basically like, all right, buckle up, kids. You're going out in the snow and you're going to deal with it. <laughs> Which I think is part of Chicago Halloween experiences. Yes. Like, I remember as a kid going out trick or treating and like my dad carrying an umbrella over my sister and me and the wind being so bad that it's like turning the umbrella inside out my dad being miserable all evening just just like why did he have to draw the short straw to take us out trick-or-treating yeah i'm like that's part of the experience i think
0: yeah i definitely have very strong memories of like wearing my coat over my costume uh for multiple years so like when you would go to people's doors people would be like oh what are you dressed up as and you just like slowly open your coat and show them and then close it back up because it's cold
1: outside <laughs> <laughs> yeah i saw a comic with um i don't know if it was chicago area or just in general It's these kids dressed up in their winter clothes and their their parents just pinned a note onto their onto their jacket <laughs> with what they were It was like i'm a ballerina i'm a fireman i'm a
0: skeleton i'm like that that's accurate yeah 100 <laughs> percent Alright, uh, before we jump into the episode, I have our first sponsor, and that is Quantum by best-selling author Patricia Cornwall. A top-secret space mission goes sideways when a saboteur targets NASA. When a tripped alarm goes off in the tunnels under a NASA research center on the eve of a top-secret space mission, NASA pilot Captain Callie Chase suspects foul play, but what she uncovers is a conspiracy as vast as space itself. As time runs out, Callie realizes that failure will mean absolute catastrophe. The first thriller in an ele- electrifying new series by international bestselling author Patricia Cornwell is an action packed story all the way to its irresistible ending. Um, so, like, this is uh, this book features a brilliant ha- heroine um, cutting edge technology and stakes that are astronomically high Kelly chase is a NASA pilot quantum physicist and cybercrime investigator which is amazing uh, and so if you are someone who loves space science strong heroines thrilling mysteries and stories with a twist then you'll definitely love quantum so you can check that out at amazon.com slash quantum or you can check 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 out the link in the show notes. And again, uh, that's Quantum by Patricia Cornwell. And we thank them for sponsoring this episode.
1: All right. So welcome lovely listeners. If you are new, we welcome you with open arms. If you are a long time listener, we are so glad that you're back. So we talk about mystery, suspense, thrillers, anything and everything in between adaptations, true crime, anything that's got to tie into mystery and suspense. We're probably going to talk about it. So we always put out a call at the beginning of each episode for show ideas from listeners, because we have gotten a lot of really great ideas over the weeks and months and years now that we've been doing this podcast. We are in multiple years now. Um So we always like to rem- remind our listeners that we love hearing your feedback and your ideas. You guys have come up with some really fantastic ideas for future episodes. We've gone into subgenres that we hadn't explored before. Um, we have investigated mysteries written by Native American authors. We have talked about mysteries with uh, queer protagonists. Just There's such a range of recommendations and suggestions that that you all have given us, and they've made for a really interesting episode. So we invite you to keep sending us that information. We will have our contact information at the end of the show. And we are also uh, going to be doing a special holiday gift giving episode for our, for our next release, episode 65. So if you are looking for book recommendations to give to someone on your holiday list, um, it doesn't matter who it is, what kind of mysteries or suspense they might be into. If you're looking for recommendations for someone, you can send us, you can uh, send us a note, send us an email, find us on Twitter, and uh, let us know that you have a request, and we will try to answer those during our next show. And so yeah, if you have if have any requests for recommendations um whether it's you've got uh a, a father-in-law who loves legal thrillers or you want to give something to your grandma who is really into cozy mysteries and doesn't want anything too scary or intense, anything as long as it's related to mystery and suspense, we've got you covered. So, if you if you have any requests like that, please do let us know and then we'll be able to talk about them in our next episode.
0: All right, so we are going to just jump into some news items and there's like a bunch of different adaptation related news. So I'm just going to kind of do like a quick rundown of all of them. Um So first up, there is again another Stephen King adaptation out there in the world. There's just always one in the pipeline. So the latest one is The Outsider. Uh The trailer for it has dropped. So if you haven't checked that out already, you can check that out now. Um... This adaptation is coming to HBO on January 12th, so mark your calendars for that. And again, you can watch the trailer for it now. Not going to talk too much about it, but just wanted to let everyone know that the trailer now exists and it is coming soon. Next up, the, um, Hugh Laurie has announced or his company has announced that they, he's working on an adaptation of an Agatha Christie story for the BBC. Uh, again, not a lot of information out there and they're even keeping which Agatha story is being adapted under wraps. Very beginning stages, very little information is being put out there, but, uh, it's being produced by Mammoth Screen who has done a number of like really well known and award winning adaptations. Um, and it's going to be on the BBC. No news as of yet about it coming to other places because again, very early on, but just a heads up to Agatha Christie fans that that's coming eventually. Amy Poehler has picked up the rights to, uh, do the adaptation of The Mother in Law by Sally Hempworth. This book came out a couple of weeks ago. It's pretty new release. Um, and so the project again very early on jessica goldberg who has worked on the path and parenthood is writing the script and executive producing it alongside amy Poehler and her production company and it's most likely going to be a series on nbc at this point um so amy Poehler has like a contract with nbc and so basically she's adapting it for them whether or not it gets picked up we'll see but that's a potential uh book to tv adaptation that is coming and then the final thing is that um there's going to be adaptations of some mary higgins clark novels um, and so it's a Montreal based distributor as well as a U.S. produced production company, uh, that's working on an anthology based on some of her novels. Um, Eileen Rosenweg, who has worked on Station 19 as well as Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce is attached to write and executive produce it. Uh, it said that it says that the first season will be based on the novel I'll Be Seeing You. Um, and then I think they're going to do like, a few others of her books as like little anthology series, which I think is actually a really interesting idea uh, because there are a number of mystery writers who are out there who I feel like their books all have a very similar vibe. And so if Doing anthology series actually seems like a really smart way to handle writers like that, as opposed to trying to do a movie for this book and a TV show for this book or something like that. Mini anthologies is actually a seems like a smart way to go. Um, but that's just my two cents here. <laughs> so anyways, if you're a fan of Mary Higgins Clark's books, there's potentially an anthology series coming very soon.
1: Well, I'll add my two cents to that. And I agree. I think that's a really smart choice for her type of books. So Mary Higgins Clark just has a very, she has a very specific brand of suspense. And yeah. she's been writing for so long that, it, yeah, I I think that this is probably the perfect way to, to approach her books. Um, but yeah, I had the exact same thought when I was reading when I was reading that I was like, Oh, that's actually a really good idea.
0: Yeah, I'm actually really surprised that no one else has tried something along lot or maybe other people have tried and it just hasn't like worked out enough to like make it uh to like newsworthy items but i actually think yeah i feel like there are a number of mystery writers out there who could very much do like anthology series with the books that they write especially people like mary higgins clark who have been writing for so long and have so many books and have like a solid fan base of people who want a specific type of mystery
1: yeah for sure so got a bunch of adaptation news and we also have a bunch of award news too. I did not realize that so many mystery related awards came out in the last couple of weeks, but here we are. Um so firstly the uh Crime Writers Association uh ga- announced their Dagger Award winners. This is a uh British mystery award um that that is given every year. We'll have we'll have links to all of to all of these um award these awards so you can look up uh look at more information about them who won i don't i remember looking at the dagger award winners and it's a british award so some of the authors aren't as familiar and they have they have like oh here's a gold dagger for nonfiction. there's a steel the ian fleming steel dagger and so it's it's kind of it's a it's kind of cute how they how they do the different daggers um but yeah, you could definitely take a look at that. Maybe find some authors that you may not have been as aware of if you live in the States or elsewhere in the world and we're not as familiar, familiar with some of these names. Um, then there is the Anthony Awards that were, they were announced at the, uh, at, uh, BoucherCon, the World Mystery Convention, um, in Texas. And it's so exciting, Winner for the Anthony Awards, um, My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyinkan Brathwaite won for Best First Novel. And if you have been listening to this show, you know that both Rinsey and I love this book. It is awesome. It is fantastic. And it ha- it keeps being... Long listed and shortlisted for other awards. So people know that it's really good, but it, I haven't been seeing it win for the different categories that it's, that it's been nominated for. So I'm really excited to see that it, that it was recognized fully, um, for being so amazing. Um, but yeah, again, my sister, the serial killer won for best first novel. So we were very excited about that. Um, the Seamus awards are a, um, a short series of awards given for, um, private eye mysteries. So if that's a particular subgenre or a particular trope that you're really interested in, make sure to take a look at the Seamus Awards. Um, and then there are the McCavity Awards, I think is how you pronounce that. Um, so you can take a look at the winners of those. And then for that one, what we got really excited about was that Sujata Masi won a Macavity Award for Best Historical Novel for the Widows of Malabar Hill, which you should also know by this point is another book that Rensi and I love to muppet arm about. We love Sujata Masi. So we we're very excited to hear about these these winners. So make sure to take a look at the, take a look at the winners and also take a look at the shortlists because I, I'm a big fan of, yeah, award winners are great, but you know what? The shortlists are books that were almost winners, which means that they're really good. And so you're going to get even more reading suggestions from that. So make sure to take a look at it, who was nominated as well. Um, and then finally, Attica Locke won uh, Texas Writer of the Year from the Texas Book Festival. And we love Attica Locke. Um, So lots of exciting news for awesome mystery writers. And so we're very, very excited to celebrate. Woohoo! We're having a a little dance party in my chair right now.
0: (laughs) It's actually really fun uh, looking through these lists too, just because there are so many books on here that I haven't even like heard very much about, which is, I think, the really fun part about awards like this when they can not only highlight the books that you love but also maybe introduce you to something new so there's definitely a couple of these books where i'm like oh i've never heard of this but it sounds like it could be interesting so definitely be sure to check out the links to the full list
1: all right and then before we jump into the main part of the episode i have our second sponsor which is the lost power by avanti sintray uh, from black opal books and this book has been described as The Da Vinci Code meets Tomb Raider. It's about an Akito black belt, a Russian sniper, and the ultimate race to find Alexander the Great's mysterious Egyptian weapon. Well, there you go. What else do I have to say? Um, but the main character is Maddie Marshall. She's 30 years old, a tall, independent truth seeker with special martial arts abilities. And after a murder on a foggy Napa morning, which I was about to go, ah, who who doesn't want to start off the morning with foggy nap and morning morning and a little murder? Um, she's uh, so Maddie is thrust into a dangerous world where her martial arts skills aren't enough to save herself or her country. So this is one of those kind of globe trotting full of suspense, action, adventure, intrigue. This book just has a little bit of everything thrown in. It is great if you are a fan of James Rollins, Clive Cussler, Steve Barry... Action-packed thriller, rapidly turning the pages. This this is a book that you will tear through, um, and this is the first in the Van Op series. So, if you're looking for a new series to start, this would be a great book to try. So, it, again, that is the Lost Power by Avanti Centre from Black Opal Books, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode.
0: All right. So, for our main topic, um, a thing that happens with different book books book bloggers as well as like different booktubers since I, you know, make YouTube videos. I follow it mostly on booktube Um, is Nonfiction November. And so we decided that we would also take that upon ourselves to also read some nonfiction because we both love true crime books Um, and we haven't talked about them in a while. So I figured it would be a good time to do that. Um, So I'll get us started. Um, So the book that I picked up is a pretty new release. It's called Furious Hours: Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Cap or Sepp um and so this is a really interesting book uh the m- murder and the crimes that are committed in this book are like so uh mind blowing in the sense of like the fact that it actually happened like it feels like something that someone made up because it you're kind of incredulous reading the whole thing. Um, so the book is basically split up into three parts. The first part follows like the crime and what happened. The second part follows a lawyer who is involved in the case. And the third part focuses on Harper Lee. So the crime that happened is there was this rural preacher uh, named Reverend Willie Maxwell, who was basically accused of killing multiple people in his family. Um, and the reason why he was accused of it is because he took out life insurance policies on all of his, these people who had died. And, you know, he was the beneficiary. And then he also like had like, life insurance on basically everyone in his family, uh, and. So that like clearly made it very suspicious. And so this all happened in like the 1970s. And so part of the beginning of the book is also explaining how life insurance really worked back then and how easy it was to commit insurance fraud. fraud Because a lot of times you basically just had to like fill out some forms and put in like a very minor amount for like the first payment and then you automatically had like life insurance on someone. And so if they died like three days later, then you would get the full payout most of the time. And so it's kind of ridiculous reading this because this man took um, I think like five people um, and in his family ended up dying, including two former wives. Um, and then he got married a third time, which that in and of itself feels like completely ridiculous. Um, and so you're like reading about this just set of events that happened and you you can't believe that it's all real. And so basically what happens is eventually – Reverend Willie Maxwell ends is at the funeral for one of the most recently deceased family members who's a woman. I think it's like his niece or something like that. Um, and the woman's brother, I want to say, um, ends up shooting the Reverend at the funeral, like in front of everyone. And so, like, it's so I it's just so ridiculous just because everyone sees him do it but also at the same time everyone who's at this funeral also believes that the reverend has been killing all of these people and he just hasn't been convicted of it because the other thing they talk about is how um low tech all of the forensic stuff was in that time so like one of the cops talks about how there were like all of these different poisons that they never tested for during that time period that he very easily could have put into all of his victims and stuff like that um and so it becomes this thing where it's like everyone in the town basically knows that this guy just shot the reverend but also doesn't feel like he should be convicted of murder because he basically was like doing what the law couldn't do in their opinion. So there's that whole mystery. Uh The second part is about this lawyer who funnily enough was like a major politician in alabama and he was actually the lawyer who defended the reverend in all of his trials and he ends up defend becoming the de- uh, defense attorney for the guy who shot the reverend which <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> just like everything that you're feeling right now is everything i was feeling <laughs> I was reading this book. And then the third part of the book is about Harper Lee. Um, So yes, I picked up this book because I'm a big Harper Lee person, as I'm sure a lot of people are. And I just think that people who try to write about her are, I always like to read the books that people write about her just because so little is known about her. I always wonder what sort of angle they tr- they're trying to take. So basically the way that Harper Lee rolls into this whole thing is that she was actually at the, this final trial of this man who shot the reverend um, because she was, considering writing a book about the trial. Um, This is after To Kill a Mockingbird has come out and after even In Cold Blood has come out. Um And so it sort of looks at it. Li- the last part kind of feels like a mini biography of Harper Lee because it talks about her whole progression as a writer and her friendship with Truman Capote and the work that she did with In Cold Blood. And it talks about how like after um, To Kill a Mockingbird came out, she felt all of this stress about writing a second book and she couldn't do it and so she thought that like going down to Alabama after hearing about everything with this crime which I'm, you guys are all in intri- probably just as intrigued as Harper Lee was um so she decided to head down to this small town in Alabama and check out the trials for herself and make it potentially another book obviously we all know Harper Lee never published that book and so this book kind of looks at things from her angle and sort of like what happens um and so yeah it's It's a really interesting book. I mean, I I think I kind of sold it already for you guys. Um, But I do want to say like go into this knowing that it's not like a normal true crime book. Like it doesn't focus on the crime quite as much. Like the first part is all about the crimes. So that'll fulfill that. But it kind of feels more like three mini biographies that are all interconnected, which is a thing that I'm into anyway. So I'm totally okay with it. Um Also, if you're looking for some like major expose on Harper Lee, not really here. If you know anything about Harper Lee, I don't think anything in this section will like really shock you but i didn't know about her connection to this case so i at least found that part interesting and i think that it's also kind of interesting just seeing um how harper lee dealt with writing and her fame and stuff like that just cuz i haven't read all of the biographies about her or anything like that so i didn't know quite so much about how much she struggled with her writing post to kill a mockingbird um so yeah i think that if you are someone who enjoys true crime but doesn't want anything like super scary or super like super i mean there are a lot of deaths in here but it's not like focused on the murders themselves it's more about these people and this small town in alabama and sort of the racial tensions as well one thing i didn't make clear is that the reverend as well as all the people that he killed and many of the people who are involved uh are black and so there is a little bit of that as well people think that he potentially had like was doing like voodoo on his victims and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of discussion about the way that people in Alabama uh, viewed voodoo and how they viewed these people and all this stuff. And so it it makes for a really interesting book that has a lot of really unique angles um, to the story as well. So I really enjoyed reading it, if it wasn't uh, apparent, by the (laughs) way, how much I'm talking about it. (laughs) But I definitely recommend it. I Yeah, I I thought it was super fascinating. And I think – it's unfortunate because it has to use Harper Lee as like this angle to kind of sell the book. But I think that the crime itself is fascinating enough on its own, but there's no way to really market it in a good way, I think. And so I think that if people pick this up just because of the Harper Lee thing, they're going to be disappointed. But I think that the crime itself is really, really intriguing. Um So again, it's called Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp.
1: You just keep like... <laughs> Your description of this book, I'm like, oh my god, plot twists.
0: There's so many plot twists in this book. I was like really lucky that I went into this relatively blind. Like I kind of like briefly glanced at the synopsis so I didn't know too much about it. But I just kept turning the pages and being like, wait, what? (laughs) So yes, highly recommend it.
1: I was gonna say even without the Harper Lee angle, just the first part of it, I'm like, I thought you marketed that really well. Because even without the Harper Lee part, I'd be like, wow, I would totally read this book. Yeah. This is bonkers. Yeah. So the book I picked is about it is about an extremely well known crime in America. Not um bonkers in its own right, but not not this little sliver of history that no one's ever heard about. Um I picked The Borden Murders, Lizzie Borden and the Trial of the Century by Sarah Miller, which is actually a depending on who you talk to, is considered either juvenile nonfiction or, like, teen nonfiction. It's a sizable book. Like, it's a couple hundred pages. It's, don't let the, the audience, like, the way it's marketed, don't let that fool you. This is a book that, you know, uh particularly mature, you know, older kid, maybe 11 or 12, definitely a teen would be really interested in this. Adults would, would find this super interesting. But yeah, so I have always been really, really interested in the Borden murders. I just find it just, it's just so mind boggling. And the fact that we still have no clue what happened. Everyone has theories. I have, you know, I have my own beliefs. Um, But no one knows who killed the, who killed the Bordens? Everyone, you know, Lizzie Borden obviously was arrested and brought to trial, but she was found not guilty. And so it's, there's just so much mystery surrounding this, this actual crime. It, it feel, it feels almost unreal. Um, but this book, um, I think because it is technically geared towards a slightly younger audience, it doesn't necessarily offer much in terms of, new revelations or new theories it just kind of lays out the facts quote unquote such as they are um so if this is if this is something that you've always kind of been interested in but don't have a have a solid idea of exactly what happened what happened with the trial with the arrest with the police investigation this is a really great book and the author takes really takes great pains to make sure that She is presenting the facts as consistently and as straightforwardly as she can because one of the defining elements of this case is that no one knew what happened, but the media just went nuts when when the when the Bordens were were found dead they they had all these theories they it was totally sensationalized they were printing everything and anything they could about the murders anyone who had an opinion all of a sudden got written up in the paper and there are so many like this this trial really encapsulated I think when we talk about quote-unquote fake news whether we're talking about it seriously or sarcastically like like, there was so much fake news going around about this trial, like it's it's so hard to separate fact from fiction and find out what was actually said, what was transcribed properly, what wasn't, and so the author really takes a lot of um she she makes a really strong effort to. She said that she sticks with, uh, she tries to stick with, um, the earliest, uh, transcriptions. She tries to get as close to the primary source as she can. So if there's a transcribed, uh, statement that someone made in the courtroom, she's going to try and go from legal documents if she can rather than a newspaper article summarizing it. Um, and there are just as many theories and Incorrect beliefs because of these rampant theories that were, that were being spread through the media. Like, there are so many falsehoods that have sprung up over the years. And so she tries to address some of these and say, well, you know, a lot of people have thought this, but this actually wasn't true because of X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's really interesting. It's, um, I mean, the crime was horrific, but you look at the police investigation, which was, it feels like it was just completely bungled. Um and also because the fact that this took place in 1892 when they didn't, you know, fingerprinting wasn't a thing. Like they didn't they didn't have so much so many of the tools that investigators have nowadays. Like if you've seen most most people have seen the fo- the crime photos that were taken of the Bordens. Um and for Lizzie's stepmother, her, you know, she's found laying almost basically parallel to the bed. And you find out later that she was actually like at an angle, kind of, I think part of her body was underneath the bed and her skirt was, Hiked up when she fell, basically, so they pulled her skirt down to cover you know to cover her and and make sure that she wasn't you know exposed during the photograph, which you know on the one hand it's protecting her honor, but on the other hand, who knows what kind of evidence might have been might have been destroyed from from the police officers uh interacting with the crime scene that way they may not have been able to pick up on it, but you know, you just, it's amazing at all the information that was, has been lost or misconstrued over the years. And this, I mean, this is a book that when you finish it, you will not have any, like, there's no sense of closure because no one has any idea what happened. Um, but it's so interesting. It is so interesting. And like I said, it's a really good kind of a primer, um, for other books, um, or before, I think before diving into some of these, some of these other books about the Borden murders, I think it's good to just kind of get a solid idea of what the, what the facts are, what happened, the timelines, the people involved. And this book does it really, really well. It's, it's a really interesting example of narrative nonfiction and I really enjoyed it. Um, and it was also really interesting for me because last year I remember talking about when I visited the Lizzie Borden house, with a couple of my friends, and so when they're describing the layout of the house, I was like, "Oh my gosh, yes, I was there. I walked up that staircase. I was in that bedroom. I was, you know, um, I touched the same doorknobs that Lizzie Borden did." Um, and so that was that was a really interesting element for me as for me as well. Um, but yeah, this this was really really good. Um, and so yeah, even though it is technically marketed or geared towards. A younger audience, do not let don't let that sway you. This book is really, really, really well done. So again, that was the Borden Murders, Lizzie Borden, and The Trial of the Century by Sarah
0: Miller. All right. So definitely let us know if you've read either of these books or if you have other nonfiction books that you've been checking out recently that you've been enjoying. Definitely let us know as well. I feel like my reading this year has not been enough nonfiction and reading at least Furious Hours made me realize or remind me how much I enjoy it and that I need to be reading more of it. So definitely feel free to send us recommendations if you have any.
1: Yes, for sure. And I also second that I have not been reading a ton of nonfiction. So Um, but yeah, I love true crime. And I love stuff like this. So okay, so with that, I have our new releases for this episode. And all of these books, I immediately I'm like, okay, go on to Goodreads, I need to add this to my list. These are some amazing sounding books. So the first one is The Ninja Daughter by Tori Eldridge which is a thriller about a Chinese-Norwegian modern-day ninja with Joy Luck Club family issues who fights the Los Angeles Ukrainian mob sex traffickers and her own family to save two desperate women and an innocent child. I mean, good lord. How do you, how do you add on to a paragraph like that? Um, so I will give a quick uh, trigger warning. This book does mention rape. Um, at the beginning of the book, after her sister is raped and murdered, uh, the main character, Lily Wong, dedicates her life and her ninja skills to the protection of women. But her mission is complicated. Not only does she live above the Chinese restaurant, or- owned by her Norwegian father and inspired by the recipes of her Chinese mother, but Lily also has to hide her true self from her Hong Kong tiger mom, who is already disappointed in her daughter's less-than-feminine ways and who would be horrified to know what she had become. But when a woman and her son uh, that she escorted safely to an abused women's shelter return home to dangerous consequences, Lily is forced to not only confront her family and her past, but team up with a mysterious and very lethal stranger to rescue them. I also recommend if you are interested in this book, take a look at the author's website and read her biography because it is bonkers. This is an own voices novel. The author herself is of Chinese, Norwegian, Hawaiian descent. She went to school with uh, Barack Obama, uh, or she at least went to the same school, but it sounds like that they may have been about the same age. Um so she it sounds like she may have gone to school with Barack Obama. She is a she is a 5th degree black belt in a couple of different martial arts. She has done all of this work. She does martial arts classes. She's done Broadway. She's acted. She has traveled all over the world. She just sounds incredible. <laughs> Um, But yeah, so this book, I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of this. This is The Ninja Daughter by Tori Eldridge. Um, this book ha- uh, comes out today on November 5th, so by the time you're listening to this, you can run out and pick up a copy of this book for yourself. Next, we have a YA suspense novel called I Have No Secrets by Penny Jolson, and that is also out today on the 5th, so you can pick up this one as well. Uh, the main character is Gemma. Uh, Gemma knows who the murderer is she knows because he told her he thought his secret was safe because Gemma can't speak or move but Gemma observes all kinds of things about everyone around her and his secret is just one of them and when a new technology means she may be able to communicate and reveal all she knows Gemma no longer feels powerless in the face of this deadly secret it's a race against time before the killer acts again or tries to stop her We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and so again, that is I Have No Secrets by Penny Jolson out on November 5th. The next two books are out next week on November 12th. Um, this one is called Highway of Tears, a true story of racism, indifference, and the pursuit of justice for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls by Jessica McDermott. Um, so if you're interested in nonfiction November, this sounds like a really interesting one to pick up. This is a work of investigative journalism compared to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, The Line Becomes a River, and it follows a series of unsolved disappearances and murders of indigenous women in rural British Columbia. And on Highway 16 in northern Canada, there are billboards that read, Girls Don't Hitchhike, Killer on the Loose. The highway is a 450-mile stretch of dirt surrounded by rugged wilderness, snowy mountains. It's known as the Highway of Tears. And it's here that countless women and girls, most of them indigenous, have vanished since 1969. So this looks at what has happened over the years along this road. So the author reassembles the lives of the victims, who they were, where they came from, who their families were, who were their loved ones, what led them to this highway, and it takes them into their families' determined fight for the truth. Um, it talks about the initial police investigations, which were seriously marred by incompetence systemic racism and it also shines a light on a larger phenomenon that more than a thousand indigenous women have gone missing or been found murdered across canada a topic um brought to international attention when uh prime minister justin trudeau opened an official inquiry into the cases um but it just it looks at this widespread phenomenon of indigenous women and children going missing or, or being discovered murdered, and no one really caring enough to truly investigate what happened. So it looks at the decades worth of tragedy and the fight to honor the victims by preserving their stories, providing them the justice that they deserve. Um, and again, the full title is Highway of Tears, A True Story of Racism, Indifference, and the Pursuit of Justice for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls by Jessica McDermott. And then finally, we have Queen of Bones by Teresa Dovelpage, um which is the second in her Havana Mysteries series. And it's set in Cuba, um, but it has two storylines that take place 20 years apart. Um, and Juan is the main character. He is a Cuban construction worker who has settled in Albuquerque and returns to Havana for the first time since fleeing Cuba by raft 20 years ago. He's traveling with Sharon, who's his American wife, and he hopes to reconnect with Victor, who is his best friend from college. Unbeknownst to Sharon, he also hopes to find out what has become of two of his ex-girlfriends, Elsa and Rosita. And when he arrives back in Cuba, Juan is surprised to learn that Victor is now Victoria, and runs a popular drag show at the Café Arabia, Elsa has married a wealthy foreigner. Rosita is still single and works at the, at the Havana Cemetery. And when one of these women turns up dead, it will cost Pedrino, a Santeria priest and former detective on the Havana police force, more than he expects to untangle the group's lies and hunt down the killer. So again, that is Queen of Bones by Teresa Dovelpage. And that's what I've got for new releases. What have you been reading, Renzi?
0: I just want to say, uh, I already put Ninja Daughter on hold at my library. In case anyone is wondering what I'm doing while Katie reads new releases when it's her turn, it's, I I opened up my library tab on Chrome and slowly put things on hold. So anyways, um, I finished reading Heaven, My Home by Attica Locke and it was fantastic. Just like everyone says it is. I'm not going to go into too much detail about this book because this one actually does, uh, have a pretty significant plot that plays off of the first book. Um, it's the, the, the mystery itself is a standalone, but a lot of the things that's happening with the main character, Darren, uh, is in direct relation to what happened in Bluebird, Bluebird. So if you haven't read Bluebird, Bluebird, I don't recommend picking up Heaven, My Home. This is definitely a series that's being written in a way that should be read in order just because the, things the character is struggling with um, won't really make sense without that context. I will say that besides the fact that it is freaking fantastic, the way Attica writes, Attica Locke writes the endings of her books always just like blows my mind because you just are going along and you're reading about this mystery and then she ends the book in a way that you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. Um, so yes, if you had that similar feeling at the end of Bluebird, Bluebird, for everyone who read it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, She does a similar thing at the end of Heaven, My Home. Um, But yeah, these are really fantastic. I mean, we talk about Attica Locke all the time. So I feel like I don't really need to go into it too much. But if you haven't read her already, I highly recommend picking her up. I feel like Bluebird, Bluebird and Heaven, My Home now are like some of her strongest in terms of all of her bibliography. Uh But I feel like if you just want to pick up a standalone, The Cutting Season is fantastic as well and is a good introduction to her writing. Um, she does a great job of weaving in real-life race-related stuff um, into her stories. So if that's something you're intro- into, definitely check her out. And again, Heaven in My Home, fantastic. If you are wondering, if you read Bluebird, Bluebird, and have been wanting to hear what people say about Heaven in My Home, it's also amazing.
1: What I am listening to right now, um, I started listening to The Stranger Beside Me, The Shocking True Story of Ted Bundy by Anne Rule. I have read this book before, but this is the first time that I'm listening to it. Um, and the, tr- I mean, this is one of the essential true crime books because Anne Rule had a fairly close friendship with Ted Bundy before he was arrested and tried and found to be the infamous serial killer that we all know him as today. Um, so she has a very unique take on this investigation. She was essentially writing this book about the murders of these women that were turning up in the, Nor- in the Pacific Northwest, not realizing that she was writing about the crimes of a friend of hers. So that's a very unusual take. And it's, you know, it's, it's a long book. So there are points where it kind of dips a little bit, but there, there's such an insight. That you're not going to get in any other, any other book about Ted Bundy. What I am realizing in the second reading is that I have less, I, and I, I say this as speaking as someone who has never been in that situation. I have no idea how I would react to find out that one of my good friends was actually a terrifying serial killer. But I, I have less patience with her desire to not, hold him or to not pass judgment on him and she's like well we don't know yet and i'm like yeah you don't know yet but friendship is not it's not held to the same levels of proof that a criminal trial is and i you know It may not. It may be that it's like okay, yeah, we're not sure yet, but it doesn't mean you have to be as consistently supportive of him, writing all these letters and you know making plans to visit to visit with him. This was before he was sent to jail, and you know she spends all this time like kind of acting as emotional support for him. And I'm like, even if you don't know it was the case, know if it was the case. I'm like, I feel like there's enough going on here where you don't you don't have to. Be, you know, you don't have to be his emotional support. And I feel like one of the, one of the consequences should be, you know, Hey, I don't feel comfortable, you know, I don't feel comfortable spending time with you. I'm going to pull away from this friendship a little bit. That's just my take. And again, I am a very out, you know, I am an outside reader. And so I have never been in that situation, but it's, it's a little frustrating because he has, you know, so many women at this point have been discovered um they have they have been snuck up on they have been attacked murdered raped i mean it's just brutal and the evidence you know so far really you know really points to him and i and it's just so it's it's hard to listen to it it's it's a difficult listen but it's very interesting and if you are interested in true crime and have not read this book at all Um, I highly I do recommend picking it up in some way, shape, or form. And again, that is The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule.
0: All right, and that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Uh, For show notes, you can head to bookriot.com slash listen. If you enjoy the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can check us out. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can find us at red or dead at bookriot.com. Also, if you want to send us emails, if you want some uh, book suggestions for our holiday episode, then you can email us there as well otherwise you can find me on Twitter and Instagram I am at Rincey A.
1: and I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady
0: and we will talk to you guys next time bye bye